Alright, welcome to the Global Inquirer, where we take a look at intriguing stories and case studies from around the world to examine how global trends are impacting real lives and international relations. I'm your host, Nico Marsage, and today I'm joined by Kay Kospayar, a foreign affairs major and a Russian studies major, and Katya Sanko, a Slavic studies major, and two of our researchers. Katya Kay, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. I'm really excited for for today's show. Not only did we have the opportunity to interview the director of the IRC, the International Rescue Community, but we also had the opportunity to interview an Iraqi re- refugee who lives in the Charlottesville community. And basically what we want to do is use these two interviews to explain how communities are integrating refugees into their surrounding neighborhoods and look towards the future into what what we can be doing in our communities to help out refugees and to help them integrate. I think it's important to note that, you know, today we're not talking about immigration. We're talking about refugees that are already in the U.S. Given that these refugees are already in the U.S., okay, how do they actually integrate into communities, find jobs, form relationships? Right. So for refugees to actually come into the United States, they have to be contracted with a refugee resettlement agency. So the IRC is one of those. They're actually one of nine in the United States. And you had the opportunity to interview the IRC director. What what did she have to say about this? Yes, uh, Harriet Kerr is the director of the IRC, and she's explained a little bit about what the, what her IRC does and the Charlottesville community. And basically, she said that a lot of the resources available to refugees, uh, such as uh, finding them jobs, registering their kids to school, um, getting the necessary medical attention that they need, is focused on um, between the the first year and like the third year that they've been in the United States. Um, That's because they are focusing a lot more on just making them self-sufficient as quickly as possible. Right. I want to really hone in on this job placement program that the IRC provides. What kind of jobs are these refugees receiving? So a lot of these refugees are entered into like entry-level jobs, um, predominantly in the hospitality sector. Um, it doesn't matter what type of degree you have from um, from your home country. They all kind of start at the beginning. And refugees usually lack a U.S. work history, which tends to work against them. And so what the IRC encourages is to get low-skilled jobs, to build a resume, to build a working history, to kind of spring off into a better job in the future. Right, but uh, you know, I can't imagine that this is the only challenge that refugees face. Mm-hmm. So, aside from providing for their family, refugees are, you know, kind of adjusting to the culture shock of coming to America. Right. So, what Harry uh, Kerr from the IRC said was, the newness of being in a different country is the biggest challenge. And a specific example that she shared with me was that refugees have trouble with real mail versus junk mail. I mean, to us, it it just seems very intuitive, (laughs) right? right? right. Like you ignore the junk mail and then you read your actual mail. But to them, it's all the same. And that's, I think, like just an example of like how everything we take for granted is just an everyday challenge for them. Right. Not only in the job world, but actually like socially and culturally, it must be, you know, very difficult for them to, to integrate. And we were fortunate enough to actually interview a refugee here in Charlottesville who face many of these difficulties, like being overqualified and not knowing or understanding maybe some of the cultural norms that come come with moving to a completely different country. Katya, can you tell me a little bit more about your interview with Mohammed? Right. So 
you always hear about refugees on a very superficial level. Um, you only hear about them as numbers, as hordes moving through Greece and Turkey. And it was just a great opportunity to finally meet a refugee and to finally give a face to this label that is often used as a political term. And so it was really interesting for me to hear his personal struggles in the Charlottesville community. So now we want to share with you guys some of the clips that Katya took from the interview with Mohammed. My name is Mohammed Mohammed. I'm from Iraq. I moved here in 2012. And so where do you live now? Um, here in Charlottesville. In Charlottesville. First, I just want to start by asking, when you came to the U.S., what was the first thing that kind of invited you in? Uh, so in my case, we get a special immigration visa. Okay. So we applied to come here as immigrants because we work on behalf of the U.S. government. Right, right. So because we have this program, so they assign us to a special uh, organization to help us, just like the refugees. Okay, so this okay. is why my sponsor was living here. So I aims to come to Charlottesville and I are through the IRC. And so what were the conditions then um, that, that caused you to enter this program? Um, and uh, why did you why did you apply for the, the position? Uh, basically, I think one of the reasons is because I work with the Americans. So in my case, I was the contact person between the company and all the Iraqis, like ministries, like doing payments, taxes, social security payment. So I was the contact person. This is why when I start feeling that I'm not welcoming anymore in Iraq, because they keep telling me, oh, because of you, all the Americans stay here because of the support. You know, like, you know then I start mm-hmm. feeling like in dangerous. I was living in an area it's called the Triangle of Death. So it was very, very dangerous. Very... Yeah, it was very dangerous oh, for the American or the people who work with the American. So I had the feeling, I so, said, you know, it's time to leave because it started being dangerous. We, we lost, like, then they target the camp where I used to work. Then they destroyed the Egyptian embassy, I think, like, a couple of embassies outside. So, Can you explain what your expectation of the United States was? I, like, I didn't expect a lot, probably because I'm involved with the Americans. So maybe I hear, like, about about the u.s is not going to be easy life is not easy yeah, it's hard right but still like when i get here i get like completely shocked so you got completely shocked how what uh, how what was it that like shocked you and how did it either come short of your expectations or... because usually we always like we hear about the u.s is about the freedom but like when i came here now i start feeling the discrimination that i never faces in my country. We don't want to be a person from Middle East named Muhammad. Well, this is interesting. I remember from our con- like the, the talk before, mm-hmm. uh, your plane ticket. Uh, oh, the- my plane <laughs> ticket. And they put me in the airport for three, four hours, I think. Right. Even with my special immigration visa. So I have like, a, I came here with my passport, was showing a visa. Then we already issued like a green card when I was overseas. So in my case, it should be take like five minutes they mm-hmm. just go through my passport, stamp it, and then I can leave. Then I'm the one who ends at the airport for five, 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 six. I can't remember. Like, it's a very long process. Then they kept asking me these stupid questions. How you, how we can know you are a good guy? I said, like, how can I prove it? <laughs> I <laughs> how already, can you just prove it? Yeah, I said, I already been, like, a very long process security check, mm-hmm. which is 
our security check is very high level because we work with the American and in my case I was carrying like a special badge that allowed me to go inside the green zone outside the green zone which is still like they can't be how you prove it I I have no idea (laughs) and then from here Mohammed goes into talking about his experience after he actually arrived in the U.S. and was actually looking for employment I think the first two years probably the first three years was very but <laughs> so whenever you came to the U.S., what was your first job here? I work with Marriott. With Marriott. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what was your position? Uh, front desk. Okay. Um, so can you talk about your experience as um, the front desk? Uh, this is what makes it worse because oh. I was the contact person facing like dealing with, direct with the guests, which is sometimes we have guests. They never been outside their own place. The mm-hmm. first time they came to Charlottesville. So. I've been the first person from outside the country, which is they keep giving me very hard time. Then they keep making fun of my accent. Then they say oh, we don't, I don't speak English. I face many problems. Like one time, one guest made a complaint to my general manager, saying, "I don't know how Myriad hired like two people to work." Then some people there, like one time, one woman, she told me, "I need to go home because of me and my own." Other people were taking jobs from Americans, and this is why America is not being great again because we're taking the jobs and they have nothing to do. Um, so, what Mohammed doesn't mention in this clip is that he has a high level business degree and that he was way overqualified for the entry level position that he was stuck in for years while he was trying to apply for uh, a, a better position for his qualifications. So, now what, now what is your job? I'm working with UEA Foundation as a financial accountant. Okay, so that means you're able to better apply the mm-hmm. skills that you have. Yeah, then. after four years. Uh, I apply everywhere in this town. Oh <laughs> I, I think, uh, I believe I applied like six, six, maybe more times for each position. I never get a chance to do an interview. Before that, I, when they told me, oh, you are a refugee, like, but they mean, oh, you're a dummy, you're not able to do it. So one time, I think one time I was somewhere, I think Joe Fair or something. So I heard like three, four employers, they talking with each other. They're saying, you know, we need to call the organization who bring all these refugees. They can take any, they, exactly, they said they can take any shit that we don't want to do it. They can do it. Oh my gosh. Then I looked at her, I said, I'm one of these refugees who can do the shit that you are not able to do it. Then I love that place. I still remember exactly how they said it. I want to talk about the word refugee. Mm-hmm. Whenever you are called a refugee, does that put you, how do you feel about that? Does Do you feel like you're put in a hole or? Like basically when you hear this word, especially when we came here, like technically I'm not a refugee. Right. So I'm an immigrant, like anyone who immigrated to this country. Well, I think like the word refugee, some people, they use it just as a definition for someone, oh, you're dummy or stupid, you're not able to do this. But time, like after time, after a while, when we start working and proving ourselves, I feel proud like when someone tells me a refugee, yeah, I'm a refugee, I came here four years ago, I didn't speak the language, I learned the language, I went to school, I get a good job, look to you. Tell me what you did to this country. Right. It is more than you. So now the word refugees make me feel proud. Right. So what do you consider yourself identity-wise? Uh, I almost lost my identity. Oh, my God. <laughs> I cannot tell. Like, uh, I still like recognize myself as Iraqi, but 
living here and start gaining more, you know, I don't know, more habit, more cultures from the Americans. So I'm, I'm, I can tell myself like I'm a mix, but I'm always prefer myself to be Iraqi because mm-hmm. I'm always proud to be Iraqi. That's good. And this is one of the good benefits for this country. They keep allowed. This is they bring immigrants from everywhere, anywhere. So you can still saying, "Yeah, I'm Iraqi American," which is true. I grew up 27 years in Iraq, so I'm not gonna call my name different name, but I'm always be proud to be Iraqi, and always be proud to be an American. Always be willing to help and save this country because they give me a lot. So. You can tell I'm Iraqi American. So, as an immigrant myself, I definitely resonate, you know, with Muhammad's quote. I mean, when I go back to Mongolia, I feel too American, but when I return back to the states, I feel too Mongolian. So, being an immigrant definitely comes with the inherent struggle of of an identity crisis because it's like, who are you? Like, what do you label yourself as when you? And it's difficult, but when you don't have one label. And so that like inherent struggle, that uh, that conflict with yourself is definitely hard. And I think it's, I think it's just something that immigrants and refugees just have to deal with. And right, and as a whole, I just find this story really extremely compelling. From Muhammad's expectations of the U.S. to the realities when he came here, and then you know how he actually is doing now. But to me, like it's obvious that there's been a recent backlash against immigrants and refugees, and I think everyone can see that. You know, some people just don't want refugees to integrate in their communities. But I want to go into like really some of the driving forces behind this backlash. Katya, what do you think are, you know, what do you think is a driving force behind this backlash against refugee integration in our communities? So I think that a huge misconception about refugees and immigrants coming into the community in general is that um, they come in and they take our jobs. And um, this is, it's a misconception because economically having people with a diverse range of skills, of qualities, of qualifications is actually good for our economy. It's good to expand our labor force and to expand our skills and our technical abilities. And so really the people that are suffering are the people from the home countries because they're suffering a major brain drain while we are receiving all of these skilled workers. Right, I guess, and adding on to that is a whole different element. It's how, I guess, the media plays a driving uh, force behind all these misconceptions. And, you know, a lot of people have embedded their opinions and just personal views about immigrants and refugees in general. And with the polarization in the media, I think it's very easy to go to a news source that aligns, already aligns with your views. And then that perpetuates itself into confirmation bias, right? And then if the media is saying this, if this news source is confirming my own beliefs, then it must be true. That just prevents, you know, a healthy dialogue between different opinions. And I think that is what's really a, a huge driving force behind conceptions of refugees. Right. I, com- I completely agree with both of you that this is a huge problem that, you know, not only are these misconceptions, but they're being driven by this polarized media. But I want to bring this on a really global scale now because we have to take into account Charlottesville isn't the only community in the world that's dealing with refugees. You know, Western Europe has seen a huge influx in refugees over the past five years. And obviously, these countries are also having trouble trying to integrate refugees in their communities. 
So I want to play devil's advocate for a bit because I think it's important to hear sort of both sides of the story. Uh, Last New Year's Eve in Cologne, Germany, there were over 20 reports of rape and sexual assault. And the perception was that a lot of these, um, the perpetrators of these crimes were refugees. And even though it turned out that only two of the refugees were perpetrators of the crimes, a lot of the perception started to change in the dynamics of like how we should be integrating refugees in our community started to change. So I just want to ask, like, how can you convince, you know, a mother who hears stories like these? How do you convince her that refugees should be integrated in our communities? Well, first off, I want to say that any act of violence or sexual assault on anybody is just inexcusable for any individual. However, we also have to go back to the point of the role of the media, right? So what 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 does the media want to do? They want to spark controversy. Well, what's going to get traction? It's these outlier stories of um, refugees doing terrible things, and that's going to get blown up into an international scale. And then people who are, you know, struggling with the fact of, you know, integrating refugees into their own communities, they believe in the worst and think that it applies to every refugee in every country, which is just simply not true. Oh, and, and amongst all of this, like, media sensationalism, people often lose track of the fact that uh, in order for refugees to attain the refugee status, um, it they have to endure a really long vetting process. The average vetting process takes two years, and it's an extensive um, background check and evaluation of even personality, of family, of history. And so um, it's not like they're letting criminals into mm-hmm. our into our country. That's, you know, it's a huge misconception, and that's something that's been sensationalized. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you can see in this case, it just really sparked tremendous controversy. And, and overall, you know, it just contributes to these negative perceptions that are often greater than any sort of positive con- perception that we could get from actually meeting or talking to a refugee. Now, moving into the future, I want to go back into our crystal ball, our favorite part of this show. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about what the IRC director, for example, thinks that we should be doing in the future to integrate refugees in our communities? So what Harry Kerr told me was she wants to extend the timeline that these resources are, you know, offered to refugees. I think right now the average um, time that the IRC stays with refugees is about like one to three years. She wants to expand it to maybe five years, perhaps, to give them uh, enough time to fully get comfortable and be uh, self-sufficient. And she also called for help from the UVA community, the students, right? We are definitely a curious bunch. And so I definitely recommend taking advantage of resources like the IRC, uh, getting involved either as an intern or as a volunteer or even as an employee to learn more personal stories like Muhammad and really like spread the message of you know, refugee integration and even effect, affecting the life, like the lives of a few refugees can make a huge difference within our own charitable community. And now, Katya, I want to have you chime in on, on this for a second. What do you think we should be doing to help refugees integrate in, in our community? Like Kay was saying, students have a huge role in the integration of refugees in our community. We have a strong voice and we should be using that voice to go out into Charlottesville and to clear up misconceptions like the one that we were talking about earlier with the misconception that refugees are, quote unquote, taking our jobs. And so instead of perpetuating these misconceptions, what we should be doing is 
advocating for, for refugees to attain jobs that match their qualifications. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, you know, why not use these resources that are given to us and, and seek to dispel sort of these misconceptions that are not only going on in Charlottesville, but all around the U.S., all around the world. As students here in our community, we should be leaders. We should be the driving forces behind change, behind changing perceptions, and behind helping people out, helping people feel welcome in our communities. And I think that that really right there is the most important part. But like, you know, you don't have to take it from me, a idealistic student. Take it from Muhammad, an actual refugee here in the Charlottesville community who has experienced this. I think the only message I want to tell the students, I came here, so I, when I came here, I went to study at Piedmont. So I was like, I was so excited. I'm going to study in college. And But one of the things that's hers, like when we go to class, people, they treat you very bad. So I think the students, they need to involve more with colored. I can call myself as a colored because this is what the word I use in school. Mm-hmm. And one time one girl, she told me, I'm, I'm a redneck. Can you think my family, they're going to accept you? I said, like, I'm going to be friend. I don't want to be your boyfriend. <laughs> so I think oh, they need just... So when they try to do like a group study, I'm the only one who always ends with no group study. I'm the always the one who left with no partner. So I'm always by myself. I think what they need to do is they need to accept everybody. Like if you go into University of Virginia, which is one of the best top school in the nation, so you need to prepare yourself to be a leader. Then leader will never leave someone behind. Mm-hmm. So this is only the thing that I can tell the students. Like help the other people. Because we need the help. Put yourself in my situation. We came with no family, no friends. And in our culture, we always, always, and it's not always, you must help other people. But when we came here, like if you try to ask someone for help, they never listen to you, which is very hard. All right, that's it for our episode today. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. This was really special for us, not only to interview the IRC director, but also to get interview Mohammed, Kay, and Katya. Thanks for coming in and doing all this great work. Thanks for having us, Mika. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know what you think about how, you know, refugees should be integrated in our communities. And you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter at underscore Global Inquirer, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to us on iTunes, and let us know what you think. I want to give a big thank you to the IRC director who we, who we got to interview today. And you can go ahead and visit their website at rescue.org if you want to get involved in any sort of way. I also want to thank Odyssey, the band who you heard here today. And finally, Mohammed, the Iraqi refugee who we interviewed, who really just shared us his story about his perception of integrating as a refugee in the U.S. So I'll leave you with that. See you next time.